talking about the Texas deep freeze on this week's Renew Guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive James. Let me try that again. I'm Executive Director James Owen. Coming to you live on tape from the palatial Renew Missouri studios. Also joined uh, with me at the studios is on the board, as always, Philip Frasica. Hey, Philip. Hey, how's it going? Well, I I am excited about 2020. I hope you are too. I am. I wish it was a little warmer, um, but you know, the oh, weather. do you? You wish it was 75 degrees on Christmas Eve warmer? Uh, I don't know about that, but you know, I, the weather is appropriate for our topic, so I'll take it. You wish uh, it was global warming, melting of the earth warm. Is that what you want? Uh, yeah. Why not? <laughs> okay, I'll let you talk to our donors about that. All right. Uh, on that note, <laughs> we have a we have a we have uh, we have a very exciting guest. Uh, we have often had staff members uh, on our podcast. We, we actually, a couple months ago, had Tim Opitz on to uh, had a very morose uh, view of the Boone County Wind Commission. We were actually listening to that podcast thinking we sounded very moody on that, but we were very moody on that. We hope this one's a little lighter. Uh, we have uh, Tori Cheatham, who is out of our St. Louis office. Tori, remind me again, what is your, what's your position title? What have we, what have we landed on for you right now? <laughs> Well, hi, everyone. Uh, so my position title is policy and outreach coordinator, uh, mm. but I, I do a lot of things for Renew Missouri. So you do. Um, do a lot of communications and some research and kind of, as I describe it, have my fingers in all the pies and all the projects that we are part of. So if you were on our mailing list and like, let's say you got our newsletter uh, last summer, you saw Tori's incredible work with that, uh, which I think we're going to do this summer too, I guess. Um, I hope so. We should talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, yeah. So you're a policy and outreach coordinator. I know that because you are doing new things that we were like kind of talking about maybe changing your position, but you've been here uh, since April, end of April, 2020. Right. Right. When the pandemic started and everything started to go online and started this new job, in my apartment. <laughs> yeah, uh, because I remember we interviewed a bunch of people for this position um, in February of 2020, um, thinking everything was going to be normal, everything was going to be fine. And then, like, I think two weeks later, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, but we still had opportunities to work in St. Louis, to work around the state. And so Tori joined Andrew in our St. Louis office. In case you all didn't know, we had a St. Louis office. We not only have an office, but we have two full-time staffers there. So it's very exciting. Uh, for those of you who have been with this group for a long time, you will know that we never even had offices anywhere other than Columbia until 2017. And now we have three offices around the state and we might have a fourth. Stay tuned. Um, Satori, we are not here to talk about the logistics of our organization. Uh, We're here to talk about uh, a project you've been working on 
Um, and it is, it is kind of a, it's, it's kind of an informational educational document. And why don't you kind of explain what it is that you have helped develop here? Uh, let's, let's start with that. Sure. Yeah. So what we, uh, found valuable was this to try and explain and come up with an educational resource as to what really happened around the Texas freeze situation and what sort of regulatory things that had happened and what, why, why was it so severe? And so we worked together as a group and developed this uh, basically a abstract or white paper on all the working parts uh, to this, to this uh, grid failure that happened in Texas and how it impacts Missouri and how we should think about demand side and energy efficiency in the future. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, we, I think we've shared this with our supporters before. We will make sure that this comes on to the um, email that we send this podcast out with. Um, But yeah, we kind of break it down in two different parts. I mean, for those of you who hope remember, maybe remember, uh, like February 12th of last year, uh, it, a real massive cold front came into the middle of the country um, and stick around for about five days and it was enormously cold. Um, I mean, unbelievably cold. Um, probably like it's been as cold as it's ever been <laughs> in some parts of the area. And this hit Missouri. This hit Kansas, this hit Oklahoma, and it hit Texas. Um, and it was called Winter Storm Yuri. A lot of people may not know it actually had a name. Um, I didn't know that it had a name until I started seeing utility companies reference it in some of their filings. Um, and um, sorry, I've got someone trying to contact me. And you also might have heard a dog a second ago. So I'm sorry because I've got like a lot of things going on in the background. So you're not hearing things. Um, so like one of the things, <laughs> and then we had a bunch of like, we had a bunch of uh, power failures. Now, you know, Tori, uh, in, in this in this document you've compiled, in this work you did, you kind of shepherd for this group, you know, what happened in Missouri, what happened in Kansas, which, I mean, you know, we focus a lot on the western side of the state here uh, with Evergy, with Liberty Empire down in Joplin, with City Utilities in uh, Springfield. They're all a part of the, of the Southwest Power Pool. So, I mean, like in, in this, I mean, so can you kind of say like, I mean, did it really have a lot of blackouts? Did it have a lot of problems as far as, as, as far as like, you know, grid failures go? So in my understanding, it, it did not compare to what happened in Texas. They, they had some planned outages, rolling planned um, outages, uh, but the severity of um, what happened in SPP was not even comparable to what happened in Texas. All right. Now SPP is a, uh, it's a, it's a transmission organization, right? We have two of those in Missouri. We have SPP, the Southwest Power Pool in the Western side of the state. And then in your part of the state in St. Louis, um, and I think it covers Columbia as well. We should know this. I think, yes, I think it's a, it's in Columbia. Yeah, because uh, Columbia didn't have any issue either. MISO is what Columbia is part of, Ameren's part of, and they didn't have any trouble. And so 
why is that? I mean, you know, because you heard a lot of nightmares out of Texas, and we'll get to Texas here in a minute. Um, why is it that, um, you know, we didn't see the same kind of problems in Texas? I mean, that we didn't see the problems in Missouri that we saw in Texas. Uh, the main reason why they didn't have those issues because they had the capacity and had a plan to hmm. to address what would happen if this serious cold had would come and so they had the capacity to not allow that grid to get to that point where they had to do as long as rolling blackouts or or uh, shutting down the grid for certain people and they did have fuel supply shortages definitely but though how the grid was set up was it allowed for it to not be as um have those failures as what Texas had. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about fuel shortages, we're talking about gas, natural gas, and we're talking about coal, right? That's right. fuel. Yeah. So, I mean, because I mean, when when it's because it's important here, because I think there's a lot of misinformation and this is, you know, we're going to get to this, but I mean, a lot of people said like, well, wind farms, wind turbines couldn't handle this cold. I mean, is that what you concluded from looking at this? Uh, as far as the SPP goes? Definitely not. That is not the case in this situation. And it's not the case because primarily wind isn't the main source of energy production at that time of year. And so blaming an energy source that is not, like the wind was not blowing at that time of year and blaming it on that source is not does not make sense. Right. So, yeah, I mean, because I mean, when I read what you put together and what I've read independently is natural gas wells froze up and coal plants had trouble operating. But largely, when you look at the forecasted wind in those areas, uh, they hit their marks. I mean, like what SPP believed wind would produce happened. Right, right. I mean, so before the cold snap, about 11 11,000 megawatts of wind was about offline in in SPP. However, later during this cold snap, it decreased about 8,000 megawatts were unavailable. And so that means around 3,000 megawatts of wind generation was actually restored during the time of, of this cold snap. You know, when you look at Texas, a lot of Texas energy comes from natural gas and then followed by wind and then coal. And so, um, but during that year, or during that time of year in February, about uh, 7% is projected to be wind production in, in the winter months. And so, that, but this performed way better than people initially thought wind did uh, and performed way better than natural gas did, uh, which was primarily the issue as to why there was no fuel. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So, and I mean, and also just kind of as a primer, I think we should probably like, emphasize this. I mean, the SPP, um, you know, it gets sort, it is able to work uh, not only with the states that are within SPP, like the Western part of Missouri, like Kansas, like Oklahoma, like Arkansas, but they are also able to uh, work on getting power uh, purchased from other regional transmission organizations. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so that's critical as we move into this next part of our conversation, which is Texas. Texas. We've, we've, we've kind of danced around it. We talked about it a little bit. Texas was a disaster during this period of time. Was it not? Oh, completely. And it's, it's actually horrible what happened, you know, 4.5 million people or homes and businesses were left without power. 
for several days um, and they estimate about 200 people were actually directly or indirectly, you know, killed from, from this mm-hmm. power outage. And it was really severe, you know, trying to stay warm and um, taking unsafe measures to, to keep the cold at bay. And so this weeks was at a, a time, it, weeks right, at a time. Right. And, yeah. And I think people don't quite realize how, like close the grid was to actually completely shutting down. You know, I've, I've read that it was seconds away from having to, the whole grid was about to be just completely shut down if they hadn't um, resumed or had done those um, purposeful blackouts. You're talking about Texas. I'm talking about Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, it's important for people to know, I mean, Texas has its own grid. Right. Right. The mm-hmm, Electric Reliability Council of Texas. ERCOT. ERCOT. As we call it. ERCOT is, okay, so it is, I mean, so when we say like it's self-contained in Texas, I mean, it's literally like they just, I mean, kind of explain, because they have a public service commission there. They have this ERCOT, but they're not the same thing, right? No. The public, the uh, public utility commission, the PUC. Yeah. You know, it's the regulatory body that that is overseeing ERCOT. Yeah. The main policy crux here is that you know, in 2002, Texas um, basically decided to isolate its power grid from two other major national grids, essentially to reduce power costs and deregulate their energy sector. Um, resulting in basically completely isolated and sequestered energy grid from anywhere else in the country. Uh, And this is primarily the reason why they couldn't rely on other electric grids to, um, uh, to port in power when, when all their natural gas went offline. Also due to very, very poor weatherization practices. And so I, you know, I, I don't think, being completely isolated was the only reason why this whole thing mm-hmm. happened. Right. Um, what else but, do you think caused this? Well, it's three things. Um, lack of weatherization of gas, natural gas infrastructure. The second thing is the horrible weather, unprecedented cold. And the second uh, or third thing is demand, demand side resources. I mean, they're, they're just the need for so much energy was one of the main issues for the, for this um for this crisis so yeah um i mean because also it's important i think you know when you talk about like lack of preparation i think it's important to know in addition to texas having its own grid it is what we call restructured in the world of 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 energy uh it is you if you're a customer in texas you have an option of picking who your power supplier is wherever you live Whereas here in Missouri, depending on where you live, like let's say you're like Tory and live in St. Louis, you have to buy power from Ameren. If you are where I live and where Philip and I live, we are uh, under Columbia Water and Light. We have no other options. Texas, you can go online and select where you get your power. And so there is a competition there between firms. And now I've read, and I think that you touch on this in your document, that you know this cost-cutting measure uh, did lead to some failure to winterize some of their equipment. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, 
when you have, you know, so much competition, any sort of investment in a, in a weatherization um, in your technology is, uh, you know, it takes away from your bottom line. Mm -hmm. So I definitely say a restructured um, political environment may create or disincentivize these companies to make those investments that are needed when these uh, serious weather events happen. Yeah. And so, I mean, so, I mean, yeah, obviously you, you mentioned these three factors that impacted, I mean, the cold weather hit a lot of places, a lot of, I mean, it pretty much like if you looked at the map, it was like this huge swath over like, you know, right in between the East coast and West coast, it was everywhere, but you did not see significant problems like you saw in Texas everywhere. Um, the Southwest power pool had more problems than MISO, but you know, SPP had less problems than Texas. So, um, I mean, certainly you can look at the fact that Texas is relatively isolated with how they are able to rely on, you know, uh, you know, generation for the grid, but also the fact that you had, I mean, people cutting, um, you know, cutting measures to make sure they were able to offer a better price mm -hmm. because they're restructured. Right. Right. Seems like those two things were kind of kind of merged to be a really big problem. <laughs> right. And, you know, to, to, Point, uh, bring this home is that the the self-containment of Texas's grid, um, you know, not all cities in Texas are like this. El Paso and Beaumont are not part of, they're not in ERCOT or they're not in part of that structure, but they basically didn't experience yeah. the same. They had almost no power outages. El Paso is part of a part of Texas that is part of a larger grid system and they did not have any of these issues. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, Texas, I mean, we say like Texas, but we're really talking about the majority of Texas. There are parts of Texas that are part of the SPP. Uh, there are parts of Texas that are, are part of other uh, transmission organizations out West. I mean, you know, but what, what I think, you know, what I think compelled us to look at this, Tori, is that we heard, I mean, like, I remember, like, while this was going on, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, got on television and said, this was as a result of the Green New Deal. <laughs> <laughs> he did. I heard him. I heard him say it. He said, like, that we've got too much reliance on renewable energy. And I just, I find that to be so dishonest. I mean, like, I understand politicians are going to be dishonest. Uh, I've seen it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they try to mold anything into, you know, whatever their agenda is, but that is, I mean, that is patently ridiculous what he's saying. Oh, completely. There is no green new deal. <laughs> there, there's never even been a piece of legislation that's been voted on. That's like considered the green new deal, let alone passed. And, you know, and, and, and Texas is a largely reliant state on coal and natural gas. Heavily reliant. Right. I mean, 46% of their energy generation comes from natural gas. Yeah. And, you know, wind is a, a very significant part of I won't say it's not. It's 23% on average yeah. year round. But at that time of year, it was, you know, they can basically forecast what kind of generation they'll get for different times of the year. And as we know, the wind is not always blowing 100% of the time. Right. <laughs> um, and it was forecasted to only be 7% of that generation of the total yeah. generation mix that Texas had. And so 
putting blame on one energy source on, on any, on any one energy resource, but wind is completely just, it's just wrong. So as you said, it's wrong. Yeah, it, it is. It is just, it's dishonest. Um, and I think Greg Abbott absolutely knows what he's doing. And I mean, you know, when Texas passes some bill that basically means they're going to rely more on uh, natural gas and coal. And as far as I can tell, ERCOT has done nothing. They've done nothing to try to offset this because I mean, it could, I don't know what the temperature is like in Texas today. As Philip was crying about earlier, that it's so cold here, <laughs> um, you know, because it feels like January. Sorry, Philip, I don't mean to keep bringing this up, but I'm gonna I'm gonna beat you over the head with this, um, <laughs> um, you know. But I I don't know. I I don't think that Texas is any more prepared than they were this time last year. Right, and you know this similar to this, not not this bad, but it happened in 2011. I think they called it the Groundhog Groundhog Day storm or. Who called? Wait, what? I I I read I read about this earlier when I was preparing for this podcast, but <laughs> they called this storm the Groundhog Day. No, no, storm? no, the one that was 10, 10 years ago, and uh, oh, no, puppy. Hold on, hold on. We're not gonna we're not gonna stop tape or anything. But I've got um, I've got a dog. Hold on, hold on. Come here, come here, come here. You're gonna ruin my podcast. You're gonna have to sit up with me. Come here. Okay. Okay. I'm going to hold this dog. Uh, so cute. This would probably actually get us more podcast viewers if we had a visual element here. But um, I was just, oh, you're okay. Start your Groundhog Day storm. (laughs) Tell me about this. I don't know anything about this. I just know that there was this storm, you know, that happened in 2011 that, you know, caused significant outages, not, not to the severity of what happened last year, but. Um, you know, FERC had made recommendations to ERCOT to, you know, make up to do weatherization upgrades um, to the natural gas infrastructure. And they basically were like, oh, it's just voluntary. You don't have to do it, but you should do it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. of course, what we were talking about earlier is that if you have this kind of structure where you don't incentivize these companies to make these upgrades, they're not going to voluntarily do it. So, right. you know, they had had you know, a warning saying this is going to happen again and you need to be prepared and they weren't prepared. So we'll be curious to see what happens after this, you know, next couple of years, if they'll make improvements or not. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I I just, I get a sense that um, when I look at the leadership in that state, there's just not a lot of interest in doing it. And I know that um, there is a governor's race coming up in, um, this November, I know that uh, one of the Democratic opponents of Greg Abbott is making a, I mean, he's, I think he's pretty much centering his entire campaign on the issue. Yeah. So, I mean, like, and I think one of the reasons I was concerned about uh, this issue and I wanted to really focus on this was because I had concerns that the Missouri legislature uh, was going to try to introduce legislation that was going to uh, focus on this. Um and, and say, like, we need to have more of reliance on natural gas. We need to have more of reliance on coal. They have not done that yet. Um, I should point out the day we're uh, recording this is the first day of uh, the 2022 legislative session. It got lit at noon today. Uh, nothing is going to happen this week because it's just, it's just, I mean, I say nothing's going to happen. I just got a text message saying that the Senate 
uh, already started the session with a filibuster <laughs> and they didn't even like have um, anything to filibuster except just a, a routine uh, uh, procedural point, which is just going to give you an indication of how bad this session is going to be. I've been warning people this session is going to be really bad. I don't think people really quite understand what I meant. Maybe they will now. Um, but, you know, look, uh, there's two pieces of legislation, one filed by uh, Representative John Black and one filed by Senator Eric Burleson that would make it easier to build nuclear power in Missouri. Uh, we've talked about this on this podcast before. I had Ed Smith on last session to talk about this because he's, I mean, probably knows as much about uh, this subject is anybody working in Missouri. It's the Construction Work in Progress Bill, QUIP, which basically uh, says that utility companies can charge uh, customers for uh, for power plants that are while they're being built, which right now the law says you can't do that. Uh, that law was set by uh, voters in 1976. It's a long time ago, but still a good a good idea <laughs> and they're trying to change that and i have no doubt in my mind that they will argue when these bills get uh, uh when these bills get filed that they will say that we need to have more of a reliant grid more dependability on this and that's when i hope that this document we've written in addition to being something we want for public consumption will be something we can share with lawmakers as well we'll yes. see mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, just to bring it back to like what we can learn from what happened is adding more gas would not have prevented this from happening because Mm -hmm. the demand was already so high. Um, And so but, the you know, the thing that we should be really focusing on instead of adding more generation is to reducing our need for generation in the first place. So energy efficiency and demand side strategies. That is the the I think one of the best ways we can invest in our resources is actually just reducing how much we need in the first mm-hmm. place. So, which Missouri does a really good job with, as as we know, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about the Missouri Energy Efficiency Investment Act on this podcast. Um, if you read our re news, you probably read about that quite a bit. Um, and yes, I mean I think ultimately uh, demand on the grid. If you reduce the demand on the grid, you will reduce the stress on the grid. And I think that if anything, we need to be encouraging that. We need to be focused on that. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying like I mean like look, I I, I do, but we need more renewable energy in the state. Clearly, we are going to be shutting down a lot of coal plants here in the next couple of years. I think we talked about that in our last renews that uh, Rush Island and Merrimack are going to be closing in the next two years. And that is Rush Island is about 15 years ahead of schedule for its retirement. It's pretty amazing. But that's that power is going to have to come from somewhere else. <laughs> and so um, I think uh, ultimately, um, you know, we just we just have to keep you need to keep hammering that home. And one thing that what I'm trying to encourage people who listen to this podcast, who get our emails, who want to engage in our work, you know, you talk to your lawmakers about this. Is this something you care about? You think this is important? You should talk to them about this. The reason why lawmakers focus on things like social issues, like guns, abortion, things like that is because they have a lot of motivated people who call them and write them and, and send them emails about that topic. Mm-hmm. They focus on that because they they hear from people who care about that issue. I will tell you that they, you know, um, while we they did hear from a lot of people uh, 
last session, we did do a really good job, I think, of of talking to people about some of the more problematic legislation that's out there. Usually people don't hear about this topic, so they don't think people care. You need right. to talk to them about it. Right. Because, you know, talking about energy is not always the sexiest thing to talk about or well, most think, interesting. Well, you don't think so? You don't think so? I think it's very sexy. I think so, right? but I think the average person wouldn't think so. Oh. Maybe the people listening to this so? podcast. No, I think the people listening to this podcast are because, you know, they're listening to it, but. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it. listen, I mean, I, yeah, look, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things I say is like most of the time people, when they think about energy, they only think about it when they walk into a room, turn on a light switch and doesn't come on. Mm-hmm or they get their electricity bill, they complain about how high that is and then they pay it and they just forget about it. And that's it. But I think that there is a lot of opportunity to have more energy independence in your life. There's more control that you will have over that. And that is something I think is super important. Yeah, make it a point. We're trying to make it interesting. In fact, Tori, you and I have been talking about a little project that we're going to be starting to do more with uh, over the next um, over the next uh, couple of months, um, and we're, we're calling it Energy One Hundred and One. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's going to be? Yeah, so Energy One Hundred and One is a basically an educational resource for people who want to learn more about energy in their life and how it works, and particularly like where it comes from and how the you know, policy structures work and how it impacts your life. And so in this, in this format, we hope to be making some like small videos um, about, you know, what is an investor owned utility and mm-hmm. uh, what, what is MISO and how, what does it do? So, you know, these uh, kind of like these big, bigger energy topics, but into more digestible bites um, for really anyone who is curious to know more about it. Uh, they can learn about it. So, yeah. We'll be doing that on Twitter, putting it on Twitter. We'll be trying to add that to Facebook and maybe TikTok. Maybe TikTok where we're, we're thinking about it. We're thinking Test, about it. Testing it out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is not where you'd expect to see people like us on, but I also think that might be part of the point, right? I think if we can make this funny and we can make this engaging, um, as a matter of fact, Tori, you've done a video. I have. I've done a, a trial TikTok video and it, you know, it, it's a skill, but, uh, you know, it was, it's a great platform and hopefully I, we will be able to expand. Should our, we try to share that on our email that we send out on this? Uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> I might want to do another take before I, okay. uh, before we, we, send we will it probably out. be sending this out in a couple of weeks. I don't think this is going to be the one we sent out tomorrow. So, okay. um, yes, that's, yeah, we will, we will have something, but that gives you something to aim for. Nothing like a good challenge, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tori, what else is, I mean, you know, you also got, um, you also did some really good work on uh, kind of summarizing uh, the PSC's work on, they looked at uh, disconnection rates uh, oh, during yes. the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So I was looking at, um, you know, the the major IOUs for electric um, utilities in, in Missouri and looking at some patterns, uh, disconnection patterns in utility data. You know, there are some interesting, interesting patterns that I had noticed and mm-hmm. I'm going to pull it up because I need something to refer to one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I kind of like threw this out of nowhere. Sorry. That's okay. 
This is good for me. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) Some important takeaways that I had noticed was that their utilities, you know, there's a similar pattern of disconnections throughout the year, but a, you know, a massive decrease during the winter months, most likely due to the cold weather rule um, that basically prevents utilities from shutting off um, customers during the cold winter months. And then right after the cold weather rule ends, there's a very massive increase of disconnections in the spring months across all utilities, IOUs. And another really interesting thing was that I was looking at patterns between before, before the pandemic started and after, and Overall, you know, so the utility started offering these pretty good payment plans for for customers, and there are way more people participating in these payment plans for all the IOUs, electric mm-hmm. utilities, and compared to for the pandemic. So, as you can see, the people are more people are in arrears and have have these payments that they owe to the utilities, right? And so yeah. um, that was a pretty interesting uh, pattern. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. And I think uh, maybe we will spend some time talking about that too over the mm-hmm. next couple of months. So uh, yeah, so a lot of lot of big work going on. A lot of outreach we're trying to do. Tori, you, you got anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, if, if people want to, um, you know, have any ideas for these upcoming Energy 101 videos you'd like Ooh, to see, yeah. please let us know and always always taking suggestions that's it and thanks for having me james my, my, first, oh, my first big podcast i appreciate my it. pleasure you actually you're much better than almost any other staff member we've ever had on this <laughs> <laughs> well i appreciate the compliment sorry philip i don't know if i actually have ever had philip on here as standalone have i oh we've talked about co-op stuff haven't we philip we have but i don't think it's ever just been you and i Oh, okay. No, yeah, okay. I thought maybe we did. That actually wasn't bad because you're you're really you're really in the know on that stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, this was this was good. Most of the time, I just, I, uh, yeah, it just sounds horrible. So thank you for making this painless, Tori. Uh, oh, and you should also uh, follow us on Twitter, Renumo, Facebook. Just type it in. You'll find us, and so you will be able to follow these little videos that we're going to hopefully try to do. I don't know how often we'll see if I get tired of it. <laughs> I'm, no, we're gonna do I, it. If I get tired of it, I'm just kidding. No, we're gonna we're gonna commit to this bit. We're gonna commit to this. Um, so we've got a lot to do with that, especially with our co-op stuff we've got coming up, Philip, right? We'll He's see. Helpful. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I hope so. We've been working on that for two years too. Um, so yeah, Tori, thank you again. Um, and thank all of you for listening. Uh, if you like, uh, this podcast, be sure to, uh, subscribe to us on all major, uh, podcast platforms, leave a review, share this on your social media platforms. And I just want to thank everybody, um, listening, everyone who's supportive of us. We just had our year in appeal wrap up. I don't quite have the numbers on it yet, but, um, I don't know, Phil, we think we made around 15 grand. I think that's close. I think more than that, but yeah, that'll, that'll do. Okay. Um, I don't know about that. We'll, we'll see. Uh, (laughs) I think maybe I was counting the fact that I was like looking at the cost of doing it and then my uh, subtracting that. I don't, I think I was talking about what we netted. That's, that's fair. Yeah. That's probably Um, accurate. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, 
regardless, if you gave money, thank you <laughs> uh, for doing that. Uh, but also know that, um, you know, like, you know, the CARES Act is still in place. I mean, you wouldn't be able to get that tax deduction until next year, but you can still give up to $300 of a donation. I mean, it is very hard to get a tax donation um, exemption on your taxes anymore. It's, it's the, the numbers have increased. And so anything you can give, anything you can do to help is greatly appreciated. We thank you. And on behalf of uh, myself, James Owen, I want to uh, wish you a uh, good day and a pleasant tomorrow.